Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the Word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening, and may God bless you abundantly. Today is Pentecost, okay? It's Pentecost Sunday, the birthday of the church. If you know your church calendars, this is when the disciples were in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came. They baptized them, and they filled them in the the upper room, and they walked out in power. And so we're going to be taking a break from Romans. Uh, We've been going through the book of Romans, and we've got two more chapters, 15 and 16, and then we're done with Romans. Um, and, but I wanted to take a break because I, as I was praying really during the whole time of quarantine, but really praying this week, I just really felt drawn to Acts chapter two. And as I'm reading Acts chapter two, I just started seeing what God was really speaking in my life that I really believe it is for the church today. And so this, I really believe is a message for the church and what we need to hear. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to kind of dive in. I'm going to be jumping around kind of sporadic with this because we're not going to be doing what we normally do, like kind of exegetically just kind of breaking down each section. I'm going to be bouncing around a little bit, but Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1 and just kind of take the first four verses. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a, of rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then the, there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So like I said, we're going to be jumping around, but it said that when the day of Pentecost had finally come, now now. Here's the thing, the, the Pentecost, or Penta, is 50, okay? So Pentecost is actually, in the, in the New Testament, in the Jewish holiday, it was the Feast of um, Weeks, or the Feast of the Harvest. Now, there's three major feasts in the Bible, and I'm going to kind of break these apart. There are three major feasts in the Old Testament that really surrounded this time. There was the Feast of Passover, okay? The Feast of Passover is when, um, obviously, in Exodus, when God told them to take a lamb, slaughter the lamb, put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, and the angel of death would pass over them. So whoever had the blood of the lamb would not die, but would be saved and freed from the Egyptians' bondage. Okay, so then what Corinthians says, now every year they, they've celebrated this week, this feast of Passover, every year on Passover. Well, what happened on Passover? Corinthians says that Jesus came And on Passover week, he became the perfect, spotless sacrifice, the the Lamb of God. And so the blood of the Lamb, whoever receives the blood of the Lamb, is now freed from the bondage of sin and death, and they have life. Okay, so I bring that up because I want you to notice something. In all of these festivals, all these feasts, this is not random. This isn't a random occasion. It wasn't like 
the, the, the Roman guards decided to kill Jesus on this day. They, the, the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus on this day, and it was just some random day picked out of nowhere, and he just so happened to die on a Friday. Because this was God orchestrating Jesus to be the fulfillment of the perfect lamb, the fulfillment of the Passover feast. Within the next feast was the, the feast of the unleavened bread. And this happened the day after the Sabbath after Passover. Okay, so if Jesus died on a Friday, the Sabbath was on Saturday. What happened on Sunday? That was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So they celebrated every Sunday after that Sabbath, and it was a first fruits offering feast. So they offered the first fruits of the grain offerings. They offered all their first fruits. Well, what does Paul tell us? Jesus became in his resurrection on Sunday, the feast of unleavened bread. He became the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. You see how God's fulfilling these things? Now, this is not random days. God is using the feast of the, the Jewish calendar in Leviticus chapter 23 that Jesus becomes the fulfillment. Well, th 50 days after that Sunday, there was a feast of Pentecost. Once again, another first fruits offering. And so when the Holy Spirit fell on the church at Pentecost, what happened that day was the church was born and they became the first fruits of the church that this was the first fruits of a movement of god of the bride of christ that all who follow after this these disciples this church this birth are rooted in to this first fruits because god has been doing something through these festivals and i and so as we read this morning i believe there's no greater verse that we can land on more appropriate verse as we come back into this space as we come back together again as we start to move forward it's very easy for us to say okay i'm so excited i'm ready to get back to how we used to do it i want to get back to the way we were i want to finally get back in this space i want to get back to normal that's the temptation is let's get back to normal because I, the title of my sermon this morning, I don't ever give you my titles because I don't ever have titles. I just kind of make it up as I go. But this one, I have a title. It's I don't want to get back to normal. I really believe what God is doing here and what God has been speaking to me through this whole time of quarantine is that God was trying to wake up the church. He was trying to do something in the church. He was trying to get the attention of the church because just as we saw in the festivals, God doesn't randomly do things. There's something taking place, and I believe that God is calling the church to get back to, not get back to normal, but get back to the foundation of the first fruits of the church. Now, last week, if you were watching online, I said, I made the statement that it's always silly to me when somebody says, we need to get back to the early church. Why? Because the, the early church was jacked up, y'all. Like, like the Corinthians were getting wasted at communion. The, the, the Galatians were circumcising everybody. I mean, it was just this messed up church. But, but here's the cool thing is that right here in Acts chapter 2, we get to see this innocent version of the church that is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like a, it's like a newborn baby. When they first come out, they're, just, they're innocent. They're perfect, okay? They smell good. I mean, not right off. You got to wash them off first. But they smell good. And they, they have this newborn innocence. And then time catches up right? Toddlers, they start saying no. They start getting dis like, just annoying. And then, then they get to a teenager and like Satan possesses them for like five years. And it's just this crazy. And so, but, so there's that. But right in the beginning, there's that innocence. There's that perfect state that God created them in. 
And so what we see in Acts is actually the first fruits. We see the first aspect of the early church, what it looks like to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The the Spirit just fell upon them, and we get to see that innocence in the church, and that's what I want to focus on. But real quick, I want to kind of break down some terms here because I I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. Number one, because it's not the major, major point of my sermon, but also because I preached on this in Corinthians. So you go back and reference Corinthians about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. But I do want to say this. They are two different things, the baptism and the filling. And if we're going to use these terms, we've got to be faithful to how the Bible uses them. Okay? We've got to be faithful to what the Bible's talking about when he uses these different, these different terms. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is the believer's baptism. Okay, biblically, when you think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is when you have come to faith in Jesus Christ and you receive the baptism. You receive the very Spirit of God living in you. The Bible says, Paul says that if you do not have the Spirit of God in you, then you do not belong to Christ. First Corinthians, Paul says to the, the Corinthian church, he says, we were all. And remember, these are the Corinthians. These are the carnal Corinthians, the worldly Corinthians. He says, we were all baptized into one spirit. We were all made to drink of the same spirit. In Galatians, he says, one Lord, one God, one one baptism, one spirit. So that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of us may understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we've heard it said, well, baptism of the Holy Spirit is the second blessing or a second baptism or a second second helping of the Holy Spirit. And that's fine if you want to call it that, but that's not what the Bible calls it. And so we've got to be biblical on what the Bible defines the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for, listen to this, guys, hear me. I want you to hear me very clearly. If you are a believer in Christ, you have just as much of the Holy Spirit as every other person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Every believer in Christ has everything they need for life and godliness, the Bible says. So you have just as much of the Holy Spirit. The Bible never commands us to pray for it. The Bible never commands us to seek it. The Bible never commands us to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But here's the kicker. It does ask us to pray and to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. They're two different things. So the question is not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have. The question now gets to how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? How much of you does God have? You see, that's where the filling of the Holy Spirit happens. And that's what Acts is talking about. Acts chapter 2, it says the the Spirit fell upon them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And a lot of times we get these two confused. We use them interchangeably. Well, it doesn't really matter what we call it, right? The filling or the baptism, the baptism, the filling, they're all the same thing. No, we've got to be clear. It matters what we call it. You don't walk into the doctor's office to get a kidney stone removed. And the doctor walks in and says, hey, let's take out the lung. Like, no, doc, it's the kidney stump. Ah, it doesn't matter what we call it. It's just, it's just take, out, take it out, okay? Like, no, we want it to be precise. We want to use the proper language. And so the filling of the Holy Spirit is different than the baptism. Let's contrast the two. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was for strictly the New Testament age and on, the church age. It was for the church age from the time that Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit fell upon the people to the time that Jesus returns. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit age. It didn't happen in the Old Testament. But the filling of the Holy Spirit happened in old and new. You remember, remember when, when the, 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 the um, prophets, God's Spirit would fall upon them to empower them to do mighty things. So the filling happened both old and new. The filling of the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens the moment you are saved, but the filling of the Holy Spirit can happen after you are saved. 
The baptism of the Holy Spirit is only once when you are saved. The filling of the Holy Spirit can happen over and over and over again. Remember, Acts chapter 4, verse uh, 9. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Acts chapter 13, verse 9. We see the same people who are filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost being filled over and over and over and over again through the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is your position in Christ. I mean that when you are saved, you receive the Holy Spirit, you are signed, sealed, delivered as righteous before Christ. It's your position. There's nothing you did to earn it. There's nothing that you can do to destroy it. You are positionally safe and set in Christ. Now, here's the thing. Your, the filling of the Holy Spirit is Christ in you. The filling of the Holy Spirit is this Christ come out of you. Does your life reflect Jesus Christ? Do you have the fruits of the Spirit? Is it an overflowing of the Spirit? Baptism in the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, you cannot lose. The filling of the Holy Spirit, you can lose. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is not synonymous with spirituality. That you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit and still be carnal and worldly and have a lot of crap in your life. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be spiritual. Remember the Corinthians, man, they're carnal Corinthians, man. They were the messed up Corinthians. Jesus says that you are baptized in the Spirit. So they had the Spirit, but they weren't walking spiritual. The baptism of the Holy Spirit will manifest. You can lose it. We're called to seek it. In fact, there's a command that we should all be filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Ephesians. So if the, if not Ephesians, the Galatians. No, Ephesians. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if it's command to be filled, why would God command us to, be, to do something that we already have? See, not every believer has the filling of the Holy Spirit, while every believer has the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so we commanded to be filled. In fact, one of the qualifications for the seven leaders in the church was to be filled. And so there's, a, there's this aspect of the qualification to be a spiritual leader was to be filled. Why would God make a qualification that every believer has guys every believer in this room if you put your faith in jesus christ you have been baptized in the holy spirit you have received the holy spirit but hear me i believe god is wanting to take us further and he's wanting to fill this church with his spirit i believe that god doesn't want us just to be baptized in the holy spirit signed sealed delivered to him i believe that's amazing that's amazing truth but god wants us to be filled and move in the authority of the holy spirit and so what does it mean to be filled with the holy spirit this is a passive imperative this is the passive a voice which means that you can't do it only the spirit can fill you but i will tell you this while we can't do it we have a job to play why were the disciples filled with the holy spirit at pentecost because god wanted them to but where were the disciples when god wanted them to be filled being obedient jesus said go do not go out wait until the Spirit came. What did the disciples do? They didn't go out. They waited. And they prayed. See, in order for us to be a church and be a body that is filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to position ourselves. Sorry for spitting on y'all. Coronavirus. Um, we need to position ourselves in the right place. We need to position ourselves in obedience to be used by God. Hear this. You will not be filled by God while sitting on the couch watching Tiger King. It's not going to happen. We are filled by God, but I think it's very interesting that the same description of being filled is also the same description that the Bible uses when you have the word dwelling in you richly. 
then we have a commitment and an obedience and a surrenderance and a, uh, to the word of God. The same description of being spirit-filled is also having the word of God dwell within you richly. So when we place ourselves in obedience to the word in the right in the position where God has, we lit, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, walking in his will, the Holy Spirit, we are positioning ourselves to be used powerfully and mightily by God himself. Guys, hear this. It all comes back to the word. And I know the temptation here. The temptation is to try to get the filling of the Holy Spirit without this staunchy Bible. We want, the, we want the experience, we want the emotions, we want the filling, we want to have God just sit on the couch and God fill me with like Cheetos hanging down your chin. And it's like, or we want to come into the, the space and we want to come into the church and we want to have the lights, we want to create an environment for the filling of the Holy Spirit. But guys, here's the problem is I have seen so many people speak in the tongues of angels on Sunday and speak in the tongues of men on Monday. And what I mean by that is that we have a filling or emotional experience with the Holy Spirit on Mo Sunday, but our lives are not changed we're walking in the carnal world we're walking in the worldliness there's no transformation and what I'm proposing this morning and what God is proposing this morning and what happened in the church this morning is that we want to see true transformation that when we walk out of this room you're walking in the fullness of God that your lives are changed that your marriages are changed that your your fruit of the spirit is coming out of your life love joy peace patience faithfulness kindness gentleness self-control that all of it is coming out of our lives that our lives are transformed that it's not an experience an emotional experience or even a Sunday morning experience it's a life change and that's the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's not about one day a week. It's not about an experience. It's about Holy Spirit filling you to the point where your life looks like Jesus. We walk in that. And so I'm proposing, I'm not proposing this morning that we get back to normal. I'm not proposing this morning that we even get back to the early church. I'm proposing this morning that we get back to the foundation, the perfect spirit, the fullness of God in this church. And there's four aspects of a Holy Spirit. We get a glimpse of the early church in Acts and the four aspects of a spirit-filled church. Okay? Four aspects of a spirit-filled church. Let's turn. I'm actually going to fast forward. We're going to miss a... Real quick, let's summarize what happens in Acts chapter 2. So the Spirit falls, and they speak in tongues, okay? Now this is tongues of man. If you read the, the, the context, the other, everybody heard their language, okay? They heard the gospel being proclaimed. It's like the French is like, who for the fee? You know, it's like, hey! The German heard his voice, and everybody like, understands their language. Like, he's speaking my language, you know? And, and, but what this is is the reversal of Babel, okay? God divided the tongues in Babylon. Remember in their Tower of Babel, God said... Guys, go split out, different language, you can't understand each other, divide races, divide nations, divide all people, go out. And then at Pentecost, God united the church, united Jews and Greeks under one spirit, one father, one baptism, one God. And so there was a uniting that once God divided because of man's disobedience, because of God's faithfulness, he once again united. And so that's a Pentecost that he united the people, and then Peter gets up and starts, and everybody's screaming, they're wasted, they're drunk. And Peter's like, dude, it's not even 9 o'clock, nobody's open, the bars aren't open. And so Peter stands up, and he starts to preach a sermon. And it's this powerful sermon, and the very end of his sermon, this is what we see. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. 
in the breaking of bread and in prayers, then the fear of the, every, upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread and, uh, from the house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and uh, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So the first aspect of being a spirit-filled church, when you think of a spirit-filled church, what do you think of? Like, what are the aspects that we think of? We often maybe think of some sort of emotions, maybe think of joy. We may think of, you know, there's maybe there's power, maybe there's signs and wonders. Maybe, I don't know what we think of when we think of a spirit-filled church, but Luke, it's no coincidence that Luke, when he writes the book of Acts, that he, the first thing he observes, the first thing that he sees when the spirit-filled church, right after the filling of the Holy Spirit, what does it say? It says the first thing that he saw was that the, the disciples were adhering and steadfastly adhering to the teachings of the apostles. What is the first thing that Luke sees in the early church? These disciples, these believers were committed and faithful and loved the word of God. And hear this, because I know you get tired of me saying it, but we've got to get back to the Bible, get back to the Bible, get in the Bible. You get tired of me saying it, but here's the good news is I didn't say it this time. The Bible did. I, didn't, I wasn't me. Okay, the Bible said this is what they were doing because I've said it before. But if we want a revival, we've got to get back to the Bible. Now, the early church, they didn't have the Gospels. They didn't have the epistles. They had what? The Old Testament. So what were they doing? They were reading the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, and they were seeing Jesus on every page. Guys, I don't know if you knew this. But the Old Testament, there's Jesus on every single page. Then when Jesus said, I became a fulfillment of the law, I became the fulfillment of what was old, I didn't abolish it. Look, I came to fulfill every single page on that book. I became the living word. I became the, the one that lives. All, all that you saw, all that you read is fulfilled and lived out through me. I'm the living word become flesh. And we are blessed because we have the New Testament. And all the New Testament is, is the interpretation of the Old Testament through the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's all it is, is, is showing us how Jesus fulfilled it. Is Paul showing us the fulfillment in Jesus and all these things. All it is, is the Holy Spirit saying, this is what Jesus accomplished that you've already been reading. So we're blessed because we don't have to be as smart well, as the Holy Spirit, okay? So we're blessed because we now have the New Testament and the Old Testament, but they open the Word of God. Guys, if we want to have a renewal and a filling of the Holy Spirit, we've got to have a commitment to the Word of God. The number one thing that this early church did was they surrendered their lives. They were listeners. They were preachers. They would adhere to. They were livers of the Word of God. Guys, the Bible has to be central to everything. Guys, the Bible and the Word are not incompatible. Or the Bible and the Spirit are not incompatible. And what's sad is there's a temptation today where if we want to have a spirit movement, it's almost like this new age spirit movement that we, we have to almost 
walk away from the word of God. We have to almost ignore the word of God or kind of make that secondary to a spiritual movement. But guys, the way that the Bible works is that the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of God uses the word of God to transform the child of God into the image of the Son of God. Let me say that again. The Spirit of God uses the word of God to transform the child of God into the Son of God. They're not incompatible. Jesus says, look, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. So the spirit-filled church, the first aspect, the first characteristic of the spirit-filled church is that there will everybody will be here and lovers of God through the divine revelation of his holy word. Hear this, guys. I don't want to go back to normal. I don't want to go back to normal where the Bible literacy of the average church is Noah in the ark, Moses, David, and John 3.16. Look, I don't want to go back to where the majority of the Christians only open their Bible on Sunday morning. I don't want to go back to the point where the only time we even come to Scripture, we're watching more Netflix shows than we are bathing our minds in the Word of God. I don't want to go back to where the only time we use the Bible is when we Google so we could put a quote on Instagram. I don't, want, I don't even want to go back to this, this masochist mentality. It's weird. Christians are weird. It's like we, we come to church because we want the pain, we love the pain of conviction. We're masochists. Like we love to be convicted, we love the pain of conviction, but then we walk out of the room only to go right back in the same junk that we once repented of on Sunday and we were convicted of on Sunday. But God, the, the Bible says that true sorrow, godly sorrow leads to repentance, it leads to change. And so we come week after week after week after week only to be convicted because we love it, we feel good because we're convicted. I was convicted. I'm, I'm one of those Christians that's willing to put myself under conviction. But then we go right back to the computer screen, we go right back to our drugs. We go right back to our stuff. We go right back to our words. We go right back to the world. We go right back to carnal. We come back every Sunday to be convicted as a masochist does because we love the pain of conviction, but we don't want to walk in transformation. I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to go back to normal as a church. Because what would it look like if everybody in this room was a lover of the word of God? Every day we are opening the word of God and you guys, we're talking about it. You're coming to me. You're excited about it. You're being transformed by, you don't know where to start, guys. That's okay. Start in Luke. Get the ministry of Jesus, the the, the gospel of Jesus, and then move to Acts and get the ministry of the church. But we need to open the word and love the word, fall in love. So the early church, the faithful church, the filled Holy Spirit church adhered to the word, but also they were a loving church. What to say they adhered to the, the word, the apostles' teaching, and fellowship. The word fellowship is the word koinonia, okay? Koinonia means to have in common. It means to have in common. In fact, the, the, the New Testament was written in what's called the koinonia Greek, the common Greek. Everybody spoke it, everybody heard it, everybody understood it, common Greek. And so to koinonia means to have in common. Now, there's two aspects of koinonia. There's inward koinonia and there's outward koinonia. Inward koinonia is what we have in common in salvation. 
We have the same Christ, the same baptism, the same spirit, the same father, the same hope. That's what Paul says, that we are all in one fellowship, quinonia, inward. We are one united in common. We have Christ in common, salvation in common, our position in common. But then there's an outward aspect of koinonia, the aspect of serving one another. Look at what it says. It says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Once again, that word common, koinonia, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, this is where some Christians are like, yes, this is what I wanted. Let's, let's move in a commune and everybody sell your possessions. Let's get rid of all our stuff and let's kind of put it all in a pile and we're all good. Let's move in a commune. So the other Christians like, oh, that doesn't sound good at all. Like, that's horrible. And then you Bernie bros are like, ha, socialism, it's in the Bible. Because hear me, this is voluntary. This is a voluntary giving. And not everybody gave. In fact, not, they still had houses. They met in houses. Not everybody gave a lot. Not everybody gave any. They still, it was voluntary. So it's not communism in that it was forced. It's not socialism in that some people had bigger houses. Some people had smaller houses. Some had more land. Some had more stuff. They, had, they weren't evenly distributed. It was, this was not communism or socialism. What this was, was koinonia. It's completely different. This is the work of the Holy Spirit moving through a believer's life, filling them with the love of God for their brothers and sisters. That if I, you have some need in your life, I will sell something. I will work an extra couple hours to pay for something. I will invite you into my house. I will feed you. I will clothe you. I will take care of your needs that's koinonia it's a love motivated by the holy spirit in our lives for one another to serve one another to be a servant to one another and this is the kind of fellowship the koinonia that we are called to have as believers look around right now I mean, even if you're new here and this is not necessarily your church this is your church because this is the body of believers this is the spirit-filled body of believers that if you have a need, I will meet your need because I love you as Christ loved his church. I will love you and lay my life down for you. I will be living koinonia with you. Now, if you have a need, and I'm talking about wants, okay? I ain't selling my truck, so you got an extra 50 channels on cable, okay? I'm not doing that, but this is about needs. It is also not about you coming and not willing to work, and you just know that the church is going to give you and give you and give you. Because the Bible says if you do not work, you do not eat. But if you lose a job or you have some hard times, man, the church, that's what the church is for. That's why we set up the benevolence team was to take care of the, the physical and spiritual and emotional needs of people. But the benevolence team does a great job. But we are all called to koinonia. Did you know that the Bible has 59 commands for one another's in the Bible? 59 commands. That we are to love one another, be devoted to one another to live in harmony with one another, to pray for one another, to serve one another, to have concern for one another, to carry one another's burdens, to be patient with one another, to wash one another's feet. Now, that's not literal. I don't want y'all touching my feet, okay? Um, trust me, you'll get the wrong end of that stick, okay? <laughs> my feet are rank, all right? Got some fungus on them or something. Savannah's been trying to bleach them since we got married. Um, this is not a literal washing. We've got to have a foot washing service. That's not what this is talking about. 
This is talking about that we are called to be the greatest servants of all. We are called to lay our life down to serve our brother. And Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. The first will be last, and the last will be first. We are called to make ourselves last and servants of all. That is the foundation of koinonia. Guys, do you know what the saddest part and the scariest part of the coronavirus was for me? It wasn't the death Look, I've got family members, and I've got loved ones, and I've got friends who are in the high-risk category, and I prayed, and I made, and, and, and that was scary, but at the same time, that wasn't the scariest for me. It wasn't the economy. Many of my friends, people I know and love, have lost a lot in this season. The scariest part about the coronavirus was how easy it was for the church to transition from in-house gathering to online gathering. That's scary. And I'm not talking about this as everybody, but I'm talking about there were many people, even some pastors, who praised this. Who said, this is the future of the church. This is what we should be living in. This is where we should go. This is so much better. This is so easier. This is the next step of the church. And I'll tell you right now, if that is the future of the church, y'all need to find another pastor because I need koinonia. I need fellowship. I need the one another's. I need my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need it. I was listening to a sermon this past week about, by Francis Chan, and it was an amazing sermon. It spoke everything that I've been feeling during this coronavirus. And what he was talking about, what he said was the church was not ready for the virus. That we were not ready. Why? Because we were not set up to have the equipping of the saints that no matter where we go, no matter what happens, that the saints could go out and make disciples. The saints could go out and have Bible studies. That we could all, we've been all meditating on the word of God. And so if we needed to break up in small groups, I don't need to go everywhere. A few handful of people have to go everywhere that we all are equipped for. We weren't set up for koinonia, the fellowship of the body of believers, the service of the body of believers. And so when the coronavirus hit... There was this natural progression. Why? Because slowly we as a church, we have moved away from serving one another to loving one another, to bringing people in our homes, community with one another, to laying our lives down for one another. We've slowly moved from I come to serve you to I'm coming to be served. And when we come to be served, where if I roll into this parking lot, I need somebody to greet me the right way. I need everybody to say the right things to me. I need the worship to be a certain way. I need the preaching to be a certain way. And I need the child care to be a certain way. I need the temperature to be just right. It's about me. I need to be served. The natural next progression is let's move to online. Because when you move to online, guess what? It's not a big deal because in-house you are being served. When you're online, it's better. Because now you don't even have to get out of bed, y'all. I don't even think a shower. I could sit in my stank and just watch. And it doesn't have to be the well. It doesn't have to be the, you know, any other church in Hamilton County. I could watch any church in the world. And just like, and the, and the game comes on. It's like, oh, game. I, I don't have to wait for everybody to leave. I don't have to, I could call Pizza Hut right there and they could deliver me. I don't have to wait for the, to, go to, to go to lunch afterwards. I, I, I don't, it's all, it's easy. It's comfortable. It's about me. It's a self-indulgence. And so the question now, what, 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 what Francis was saying, I, I love this. He said, church, we have one of two options. We have one of two options. We can either continue to feed into this version of Christianity that's self-indulgent, that is not in the Bible, or we could wake up. 
We could wake up and equip ourselves because it, if it's not the coronavirus, what happens if the government says we can no longer gather? What are we going to do? The Bible says the gates of hell will not tear down the church, but it seems like right now a lack of internet would. What are we going to do? So are we equipped to be the church even if we can't meet? The Bible, we say all the time, we're not a building. Church is not a building. But what the coronavirus showed to me is it seemed like it. And I'm not just talking about the world. Guys, I've experienced more koinonia. Koinonia. What's the word? Koinonia. Koinonia. Koinonia in this church than I have any other place. I'm not going to lie to you. You guys, we, I love the family here, but I believe God is wanting to take a step deeper. I believe that God wants to fill this church with so much love for one another, but we've got to open ourselves up to it. We've got to be servants of all and position ourselves so the Holy Spirit can move powerfully. The third aspect of a spirit-filled church is a worshiping church. It's a worshiping church. The Bible says there's, there's two aspects of worshiping. There's formal and there's informal. There's the formal worship where it says they worshiped in the temple here in Acts. So they worshiped in the temple. So it's kind of what we're doing here. We gather together. We sing. We praise. We, we fellowship. That's worship. It's not just singing. We've reduced worship to just singing. But no, it's how we serve one another. It's how we fellowship with one another. It's how we love one another. That's all worship in this formal capacity. And I will just say this. The Bible is very clear that a part of worship is obedience and we don't like that. Solomon tells uh, Saul, hey, or Samuel tells Saul, he says, look, God desires obedience over sacrifice. And I will just say that because we've reduced worship to just singing and not the full scope of a living sacrifice, a living offering to the word of God. Many times we feel like we can live a carnal worldly life and come in here and sing with all of our heart and sing and praise and think that our words on a screen and our words coming out of our mouth are worship to the ears of God. The Bible says, I would rather have your obedience than an act of service or act of, act of sacrifice. But I, I sing really loud. I, I play really well. I do it all. Obedience over sacrifice. But I serve in the church. I do my different things. I, I offer, I, mean, I, I, I greet people. I, I come in here and do all service, uh, 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 obedience over sacrifice. Because if we want to be a church that when we gather, our worship is pure and powerful and strong and filled with the presence of God and glorifying to the Father, which is the ultimate purpose, then we need to walk as every step, every step in line with the Spirit of God as a living sacrifice of worship. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about you will not fall short of the glory of God. We all do. But I'm talking about that our lives are living worship, which leads to informal worship. Informal worship is the, the church body coming together as a family throughout the week, breaking bread. So it says, you know, they came together, they broke the bread, they, they, they took communion. Now, this doesn't mean, now, this is not one of them weird Christian things, okay? Every time we gather at homes, some, some guy's got to bring out the guitar, and then, you know, some girl's like, and I've got a Bible verses we're going to sing. Like, we've got to have church service in our houses. That's not what we're talking about here. Now, I'm not saying that's, that's not appropriate. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying, let's not get Christian weird, okay? 
There's a way that we can actually fellowship and have fun and joke around and talk about sports and talk about things that we want to talk about with having no unwholesome talk come out of our mouth, which actually enjoying each other's fellowship, loving one another, that we can actually have a community of fellowship even if we're not singing, praying, or worshiping, that we could actually, our lives, our community is an act of worship. You want to know the easiest way to know if you're actually, your community, your fellowship at home is worshipful to God? That there can be an easy transition from what you're doing into prayer, into worship. Like, it's like, if, it's, it's weird if you're talking about some unwholesome things and you're talking about some girls, you, you never know what I did, guess what I did last night. Hey, and somebody's like, hey, let us pray. That's awkward transition. Or you're getting wasted and you're like, I think it's time to pray, okay? It's weird, okay? It's awkward transition. You want to know the easy way, way to figure out is your offering, is your community time, your fellowship time, is your home time worshipful? Can you easily jump in and out of prayer and worship because the way that you guys are establishing relationships is centered around a life of a living worship? Because I, hear me, I, I want this community to go deeper into fellowship. Some of y'all are introverts. Get over it. I'm just saying, like, I'm an introvert, okay? I don't like people in my house. Number one, I feel like Savannah's, then she's going to tell me I got to clean. I don't want to clean for you. All right? I mean, I, I'll, I'll welcome y'all into my stench, but Savannah feels like it's got to be clean. So then I got to clean for you. And number two, I just like to chill. And then I got to be all Pastor Dave around you, and I don't like that. But it's beautiful because I, I feel like I can't be myself around pretty much all y'all. I mean, I'm myself up here. You guys, I say stupid things here too. Um, but... But the point is, is we've got to get over this introverted thing. We've got to start bringing people into our houses and start building fellowship, building community, so that our informal worship is powerful and effective, and it's filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is the last aspect, and this is where we're going to close. The last aspect of a Spirit-filled church is a heart and zeal for evangelism. Is a heart and zeal for the lost is a heart and zeal for the brokenness. What does it say? That the Spirit added to their numbers daily those who would be saved. Because I don't want to get back to the way the church was. I don't want to get back to where we're satisfied with how many people we got here. No more, no less. Let's just keep it the way. I don't want to get back to where, and even though we're a contemporary church, that y'all still have your assigned seating for some reason. And I know it. I sit up here every week. I know where you sit. And then I'm seen when somebody sits in your seat, you get behind them and you're like, my butt has been sitting there for weeks. It feels good. Now I got to rework a butt print I'm on, on this bench, okay? I get it. I don't want that, guys. The church, I don't want this bless me club. I don't want this where it's about us club. I don't, the church was never intended to be a museum for the saints. It was called to be a hospital for the sinners, and so we are called to go out and be, have a heart for the broken, for the lost, and, and to actually live out the gospel. The Bible says, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit falls upon you, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. The last words of Jesus' mouth was, go out and make disciples and make, the, make disciples and baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of all the world. We are called to go out and make disciples. 
But the question now becomes, who does the saving? Easy one, guys. Holy Spirit. I would have accepted Jesus, God, Holy Spirit. One of the Trinity, okay? You just pick one. Holy Spirit does the saving. We don't do the saving, but what is the instrument of the Holy Spirit to do the saving? The church. The church is the instrument to do the saving. Did you know, read Acts. This is a cool experiment. Read Acts. Every time the Holy Spirit falls on somebody, what happens? Their mouths open. Their mouths open. Whether it's to praise, proclaim, or... That's about it. Praise, pray. Oh, and pray. Praise, pray, proclaim. Yeah. Holy Spirit-filled person will have their mouths open. And communicate and express the glory of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And this is where somebody always stands up and says, yeah, David, we need to preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. That's cute. It's a cute slogan. Put it on your bumper sticker. And I get what you're saying. I get it. Live a life of gospel. Proclaim it at all times. But hear this. It's not in the Bible. It's not in 2nd Romans or 4th Corinthians. It's not, it's not in there. What the Bible does say is that it says, how can you have faith or how can you believe if you're not heard? How can you hear if no one preaches? How can one preach if they're not sent? Blessed are the feet who are sent. Who is sent? You are. I am. We're sent to go out and proclaim the living word of God. To tell people about the Jesus that saves them, that loves them, that has wiped their sins clean, that they are an enemy of the cross, and they have, God has done everything that he could to restore them into relationship with them. I was not saved because some guy was being nice to the cashier at Walmart. I was not saved because somebody, some Christian was living to the, the fullness of the Lord and being an excellent employee. And I was like, wow, he's awesome. He must be a Christian. Jesus loves me. Like, that's not how I was saved. I was saved because some believer told me about the love of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That is what a spirit-filled church will do. A spirit-filled person will have their mouths open for the glory of God. I do not want to go back to normal. I want to move in power. I want to move in the spirit. I want to move in authority of God. I want our marriages to be healed. I want your sin to be broken. I want pornography to be destroyed. I want drugs to be wiped out. I want a sexual immorality to be non-existent in this church. I want all of these things to happen. I want your brokenness between husband and wife, the, the sins of past, present, and future. I want it all to be cleansed right now. I want the Holy Spirit fullness to walk in this church. Because here's the deal, guys. I don't know if you've been watching the news. But our world is getting darker and darker and darker with this George Floyd, the brokenness, the injustice of this man is one thing and it's horrific and it's breaking my heart to see the injustice. But the all other side of it is the anger and the violence and the vengeance that is stirring in the hearts of man is also corrupt and it hurts. The hopelessness in all of this that even in the coronavirus suicide rates is skyrocketed. Guys, we live in a broken, dark world. 
And the church needs to wake up because the church was called to be the light. The church was called to be the salt. The church was called to walk in the fullness of God, to bring the love of Jesus Christ into the world, to open our mouths in the fullness of the Spirit, to stop hiding behind the walls, to stop hiding behind our houses, to stop being comfortable and self-indulgent and get out in the fullness of the Spirit, to be the body, to be the family. We need each other to go out and make a difference in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's be a church that is, that is founded on the fullness of God. Let's position ourselves that God can use us in mighty, powerful ways. Let's lay aside the oldness, as Paul says, wake up, take off your clothes, and get dressed. Wake up, take off your old life, and get dressed in the clothed in the righteousness and the power of God. That's my prayer, guys. I don't want to go back. Father, we thank you. Let's pray. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. Right now, Lord. <laughs> Jesus, we pray. Father, you say that when we don't have words, the Holy Spirit petitions on our behalf. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you petition on our behalf. Because, Lord, we don't have the words for what's happening in our world. The heaviness of what's happening in our world. But Father, I pray right now that the church does become a light. Holy Spirit, I pray that you fill these people. Fill me, fill this congregation, fill this church. Let us walk in your authority. Let us walk in your power, Father. We position ourselves as a living sacrifice. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to be used for your glory, to be used for your kingdom, to be used for your name, for love in this world. Father, let us, our mouths open with your gospel. Let our mouths open with praise and glory to you. Let our mouths open in surrenderance to you. Right now, I just want to every one of us to be praying. Just pray. Take some time and just offer yourself as a living sacrifice to Jesus to use you like you've never been used. To move through you like he's never done. Just right now, let's just pray that as an individual, as that God does something powerful in and through your life, that you become a living temple, a living sacrifice to be used for the Holy Spirit.